Welcome to All Things Billy. I am your host, Michael Anthony Giudicissi. Thanks so much for joining me for this special episode. We have an excellent interview with author David Thomas. And uh, David, as I've mentioned in the past, literally wrote the book on Billy the Kid's Grave because (laughs) that's the name of his book, Billy the Kid's Grave. And other than Charlie Four, who's been gone since 1940, I don't think there's anybody that knows as much about the grave, the cemetery, the history as uh, David does. So he'll be joining us in just a bit. Um, But before we get there, I wanted to uh, tell you a little bit about a brand new book that I have out. Um, I won't make this a shameless commercial since it's Billy the Kid related. I'll tell you, I've been writing the Back to Billy series of books. And those books focus on a hapless modern day nobody named Martin Teebs from Waldwick, New Jersey, who uh, winds up going back in time to the days of the Lincoln County War, gets into all sorts of mishaps. He's friends with Billy the Kid. He's got a beautiful woman pining for him. He's got enemies in the past and in the present. And the initial book uh, became a trilogy, and then the trilogy (laughs) spread out to six books. But it is done, I guarantee that, Um, and uh, done in the uh, fact that the sixth book completes the story totally and completely, and it's called Four Empty Graves. And I wanted to tell you about it because they had some had some interesting uh, experience with the artwork that I had done for the cover. But Four Empty Graves is available for pre-order. Uh, people have asked, hey, can I just jump in somewhere instead of starting from book number one? Um, you can. I think, uh, I think this one does a pretty good job of catching you up of what happened in the last book. So at least you won't be totally lost. Uh, so if you want to start here and then go back and read, you can do that. You can find all the book, the books on uh, my website, uh, mankindpro.com. Uh, and uh, I'll put that in the show notes. But the artwork I had made for the cover uh, was really interesting. I went back and forth about how I wanted the uh, this last book to look. And the if you look at the cover, what you'll see is there's a five and then it's crossed out and then it looks like somebody wrote in four empty graves. So initially the thought was there was five, but then somebody corrected that. And that does tie directly into the ending of the story. But in any event, uh, I, I thought about having an artist draw four graves and then a bunch of people walking away, not like zombies, but people that had, you know, had, were, were not any more involved with those graves. And I thought, no, because you won't really be able to see who they are. It won't really have meaning. And so ultimately what I did is I took a picture of uh, Billy's grave, the uh, the grave in Fort Sumner with the iron cage around it and, you know, the trees and the wall in the background. And I sent it to the artist uh, that I had worked with in the past for the cover of Bonnie and Teebs. And I said, hey, I want... I want this uh, to look like somebody had dug up Billy's grave. And so we went back and forth on a couple of changes. And the initial, uh, when when he got the changes and he sent me the first one, and I remember he said, do you want the cage removed? And I said, yeah, that that should be gone as if somebody kind of tore it off of there. But the, uh, the initial one looked so much like a photograph. And there's two piles of dirt on either side of the grave. It was kind of uh, it was kind of breathtaking and eerie all at the same time. So I did I did a couple things. The first thing I did is I put it in the message group with the guys and girl from Billy the Kid's Historical Coalition, of which I'm a board member. And uh, I did I I I just said, "Oh my gosh, look at this! I can't believe it." And initially, I caught two or three of them going, "What the beep just?" <laughs> are you kidding me? Somebody did this? Like, when was this taken? Um, And then, of course, I let them in on the fact that, no, this was artwork for my book. Uh, And then I decided to post it in some of the Billy the Kid groups and got very much the same reactions. But the most interesting thing was the group that I'm not in. There are a number of them on Facebook. I've probably been kicked out of a few. Um, And so there's one, one particular group that somebody else just wrote about the picture 
some somebody I, I'm not sure who it was, and and I got this a person in the group sent me the screenshots of the messages, and uh, the, somebody else wrote about it and said there's a picture the cage is gone somebody's dug up the grave, it was Fort Sumner should be up in arms, um, and I didn't write anything I just posted the picture didn't make any comments didn't like anything nothing at all. Uh, and then that thread started to heat up and, uh, you know, people were going back and forth. How could this happen? Um, that kind of thing. Uh, so somebody uh, from the Fort Sumner Chamber of Commerce jumped in and said, oh, this is an old photo and that's not the grave dug up. That's dirt from, you know, putting in, replacing the the headstone. So I don't know whether they were fooled by the picture or they just wanted to make up some you know, some reason some people didn't panic because the office is uh, for the Chamber of Commerce is right next to the cemetery. So somebody could have peeked out the window and said, no, everything's still in order there. But it got a little crazy for a little while. Um, and it was interesting. I did it as kind of a social experiment. What would people do? A lot of people just liked it. Cool. Awesome. You know, uh, it was it was very, uh, very enlightening to see how people handled it. But there was definitely some bitterness and vitriol. Uh, when it came to people thinking, oh my gosh, somebody snuck in there and dug up the grave. Well, I had that cover image amended. And uh, what I mean is it was good, but if you looked at the original one, it looked exactly like a photo probably taken around either dawn or dusk. But if you looked at it, you really had to look close to go, oh my, oh, wait a minute, is that dirt next to the grave? Because it's it's like a wide shot of the whole grave in the cemetery. So I really wanted to reinforce the point for this final book. And so I had the uh, artist change it to a, a really spectacular sunset in Sumner, which happens to be the name of book three in the series. And not only it does the grave look dug up, but there's a shovel in the pile of dirt and there's a very old wooden coffin lying at the foot of the grave. And so there's no... Uh, no mystery about the intent of what the artwork is uh, intended to um, to portray there. And the question is, you know, what what did they find in the grave? What was there when they uh, when they opened it up? And to that, <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, you're going to have to read the book. Uh, this is one grave, but I guess there's three more if the name of the book is Four Empty Graves. I've had such a great time writing these books. I've grown, you know, kind of in my mind, really close to these characters, Martin and Rosita, Billy the Kid, um, uh, some of the regulators, um, especially Charlie Bowdry, uh, who was, you know, featured in a lot, Doc Skurlock, obviously. Um, and uh, even uh, Carl Farber, who's, uh, again, I, I don't know what to say. If you've read the books, you know who Farber is. If you haven't, he's not a good guy. But in some cases, he is a good guy, like a really good very gentle man. And then all of a sudden something happens, but I had to say goodbye to all of them at the end of this odyssey of writing the, writing the last book. Um, and so really the, the final step for me, once I've got the books in hand, right, the hard copy books in hand is I'll read it again. Like I've read it so many times in proofreading, uh, before typesetting, et cetera. But I like to sit down with the actual book and read it. And that'll be the the catharsis maybe to say, okay, it's done. It's finished. It's over with. I've got these six books on my shelf that I can really be proud of. I think I've created a nice little world here where Billy the Kid fans and people who are intrigued with the idea of time travel um, could uh, could go back uh, good go back to and, and kind of live in and revel but a number of people have said oh no it can't be over you got to keep going but i can assure you it's over it is over <laughs> and done and there are two uh spectacularly shocking uh revelations in the last i don't know few chapters of the book uh stuff that you would never have seen coming um so I hope you buy it. I hope you enjoy it. hope you read it. hope you tell me about it. But check out the artwork for Four Empty Graves. You can find it on uh, my Facebook, even from my most social media too. But uh, in fact, it's on the show's Twitter, B at BTK Rides. You can see it there. And uh, also it is uh, on my Facebook, Michael Anthony Judicissi. So look me up there, connect with me, uh, let me know what you think. And uh, you can see the original one that uh, had everybody believing, even people in Fort Sumner, that somebody took a shovel, dug it up.
and found something or nothing in the grave. Who knows? <laughs> and that's a perfect segue to our interview with a buddy of mine, David Thomas. So right after the break, we'll be back. I'll be talking to David about Billy the Kid's grave. And so I've got a very special guest with me on today's episode of All Things Billy. It's author, historian, entrepreneur, I don't know what the heck else, uh, David Thomas. David, thanks for being here. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> All right. Uh, I've been really looking forward to this because you and I have talked in the past in an interview format about Billy's grave, but um, I had somebody ask me about the the grave itself, not even what's underneath, but just the grave, the headstone, the history, all those things. And I've got so many questions I want to talk about. Um, and I can tell anyone listening that most of the answers, unless you, <laughs> you held something back, will be in your just excellent book, Billy the Kid's Grave. Uh, it is really just well-researched and documented. And uh, you can tell us more about later where to get it. Um, but uh, I've got a I've got a question to get. This is the one that I always want to know: Is Billy the Kid, whatever's left of him, directly underneath that headstone and that little cement, you know, kind of a grave uh, covering that they built? Is he right down there, or is he somewhere else around that area? Well, um, the person that was in charge of the cemetery uh, for the state. Um, really did a very accurate survey and his opinion is that the grave is within a foot or so of the location where Billy was buried based on the Dudrow map. Gotcha. So we're relatively sure you might be stepping on his uh, forehead or his feet or something, but for the most part, when you're at the grave on the, 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 the grave to the north, the third one to the right, that Billy's under there. Do we have that That's, right? That is correct. I mean, of course, the you know, the cage and so on is fairly large. So, um, you know, but yeah, that was his opinion. And, and in my book, uh, I contacted him and I'm able to quote his letter in my book in which he gives his reasoning and how he did the calculations and so on. So I'm convinced that that's uh, pretty accurate, and which is amazing when you consider how long it was unmarked. Well, that's uh, that's actually a great uh, segue because I wanted to talk to you about that. But um, so Billy's grave was first marked, I'm assuming, on 15 July 1881. Is that correct? Uh, that's what Pauline told. Uh, that's what she said, basically, when she uh, told the person that was writing the first book about Billy. And that would have been uh, Burns, Walter Burns. Double? Yes, that would have been Walter Burns. So I, I guess at that time, what I remember was there was a wooden cross on the grave that marked it. Um, and then it got shot up or something. I think, did Paulita tell the story where she snuck into the graveyard and took it one night? Yes, that's right. The original uh, cross was made out of two pickets from uh, Pete's fence that was around uh, Maxwell's house there. And they did uh, somehow or the right uh, Billy on it. And then she snuck out one night uh, being challenged because she claimed that she had possibly heard a ghost in Pete's room. Hmm. And so she was challenged to sneak out and see how brave she was. And she went out and she spent a long time at the cemetery at night. And then she took the cross back when, with her when she went back and then it was returned the next day. Okay, cool. Well, she was fearless. So uh, I have questions about that cross. I'd read, you know, different places you read online on the internet and those kind of things that somebody took the cross. I think it was someone that headed back East with it and it's never been seen since. Is there any documentation at all of that thing being taken or anybody claiming to take it? Yes. In my book, I quote Colonel Potter and he was a the person there when the cross was taken. Um, that was about uh, 1883. Now, if you'll remember, again, it's in my book, but uh, when the reporter from the Las Vegas Gazette visited the cemetery in 1882, uh, the original cross was already gone, according to him. But um, so, so Potter, Potter visits it before 1882. Uh, he visited in the, in the company of several other people. A couple of them are Easterners. And, he, and at that point, the cross has already been shot full of holes, nine holes, if I remember right, bullet holes. And he says one of them took it and he says he's going to put it in a museum in 
in the east somewhere. And Potter says, I was able to trace the cross um, where he shipped it out of Las Vegas, but I was never, and I spent quite a while, many years looking for it, never found it again. But yeah, that's his um, actual uh, words that he wrote. Um, and he was there when the cross, that first cross was taken. So it's possible somebody somewhere on the East Coast or in the Northeast has got an old wooden cross with a bunch of holes in it laying around in their basement, and they have no idea what they have, huh? It's possible. Now, see, Potter made a replica of it, and that photograph was taken in the early 1930s, and I have it in my book. And so he he made a replica. He put the bullet holes in it and so on. And if you look in my book, you can see a picture of that replica. Of course, we don't have a picture of the original cross, but uh, that's a pretty accurate uh, testimony. That's neat. I wonder if there's a big discovery out there. Somebody someday pulls this thing out and says, hey, I wonder what this is. But it's been 140 years, <laughs> so I think the chances are getting slimmer every day. Yeah. So shortly after Billy's buried and his grave is marked, I think it's a couple months if memory serves, the Las Vegas Optic, I think it was the Optic, reports that uh, that Billy's body has been exhumed and they themselves have his trigger finger. Is that correct? Yes, that's true. They do say that. Of course, that's uh, not true, but um, uh, that was uh, kind of a fad at the time. And uh, later on, the about 10 years later, the Optic uh, Press uh, published an article, which I have in my book, in which they said, yeah, this was a fraud. We were just joshing with our readers. And they took 10 years to report that, that they were. Yeah, just yeah but I do around. have the I do have the quote and the source in my book. But yeah, that was a big fag. They were called skeletonizers. Mm -hmm. uh, as you probably know, uh, robbing graves at that point was actually a pretty big industry, particularly in the East Coast, because there was a market for the bodies, um, medical doctors and who knows what all. And so they basically built upon that, that they claimed that his, that his body had been skeletonized. They snuck in and they got it and so on. But like I say, they did later admit that it was a made up fraud. So no chance that there's any truth to that. No, but I mean, various people over the years, like a dentist uh, um, or a merchant in Silver City said, yeah, I've got some of his bones and so on. People kind of build on it. But like I say, it's hard to get over the fact that they did themselves admit, the optic did themselves admit that it was a fraud, an intentional fraud. Gotcha. So Billy's grave goes unmarked once the, the first cross is stolen, or second cross, I guess, is stolen. And uh, when, do, when is it officially marked again? Um, well, by, uh, by 1927, if I remember right, there is a marker. Um, I'm trying to remember whether there was one earlier than that, but it was in the wrong location. Um, the, I've got a quote here, uh, but basically it said Billy the Kid, and it also uh, had some writing on it and so on. A writer named Sunton. Uh, visited in 1926, and he um, he wrote about it, and he had interviewed Delavina and so on, and he talks about it being there. And then shortly after that, there was a picture of it that came out in the Railroad Magazine, and I've got that in my book. And that was a kind of a stone obelisk or something, as I remember. Well, it was kind of a hexagon-shaped hexagon. uh, thing, but it was made out of wood. Got it. And but somebody put that anywhere. They just walked in and said, "Hey, this is as good a spot as any." Yeah, they just, uh, but now remember that Sutton says that when I went, I talked to Delavina, and this is only about a year or so before she dies, and, and she took him out to the cemetery, and she says how she got there, there was so many steps from the gate and so many steps from the wall, and so uh, people had kept track of it. Now, when, when Garrett visited in 1905, uh, after the other uh, military graves had been removed, uh, he did find it. And so there wouldn't have been a mound or something, you know, as late as 1905. Mm -hmm. Got it. So uh, that, that's a, another great segue because I have a question about Garrett here. So Garrett states after that visit, uh, or maybe it was uh, earlier, uh, maybe 82 or 83, he says, Billy the Kid's grave, this is a paraphrase, uh, lies undisturbed where we buried him. And I speak of what I know. So... Uh yeah, I don't recognize that quote, but I mean, and I don't uh, don't believe it was earlier, but but he did have a pretty famous quote in 1905 when he visited. And if you like, I can read it to you. Yeah, please. Um, what he said was, um, and uh, 
of course, this is quoted um, in the in another book. But anyway, he says, this is the place, he said, pointing at one corner of the grass-grown oblong. Pete Maxwell's bed was right in the corner of this room, and I was sitting in the dark and talking to Pete, who was in bed. The kid passed John Poe and Tip McKinney, my deputies, right over there on what was then the gallery, and came through the door right here. 25 years of time have done their work in all the country, as we learned when we entered the little barbed wire enclosure of the cemetery where the kid and his fellows were buried. There are no headstones in the cemetery and no sacristan holding its records. Again, Garrett had to search in the salt grass and grease wood. Here is the place, he said at length. We buried them all in a row. The first grave is the kids, and next to him is Baudry, and then Ophaliard. There's nothing left to mark them. Now, this is a quote that you may be thinking of. Garrett looked at them in silence for a while, and turning, went to the buckboard for a drink of the canteen. Well, he said quietly, here's to the boys, anyway. If there is any other life, I hope they make better use of it than they did the one I put them out of. Hmm. And that was quoted in, in Ho's book. Gotcha. Yeah, pretty powerful. I think the quote that I am attributing it to came uh, at the very end or during the publicity for Garrett's book. Uh, so it must have been right after Billy died. But he did say, he's still there in the ground. I speak of what I know, which has led researchers, historians, armchair enthusiasts to say the only way he could know after the fact that the body was still there is to have dug it up. Any chance? I, I do remember that quote now, but I, I mean, it's just... Ever, he, he had been back to Fort Sumner many times. I mean, he talked to the people there and so on, you know. I mean, no one there believed that it had been dug up. So I'm sure he's just going on on what he learned from other people. I, gotcha. he, I'm sure he did not dig it up. Gotcha. Okay, so let's talk about Charles Dudrow um, uh, and his report. Uh, I don't know that he, you know, thought, uh, you know, 100 years later, people would still be reading that report. But it was very timely in that he did some important things in the cemetery, and it's chock full of information. But here's the question I have that I can't, I've read it numerous times, it's included in your book, the map is in there. How do you think, or do you know how he marked the grave of Billy, and then what he calls his gang, uh, you know, uh, Boudry and Folliard? Well, I'm, a, I'm sure there were mounds. Uh, he didn't physically mark it, of course. Uh, he spent quite a bit of uh, quite a few days doing research, uh, trying to figure out who else was buried in the cemetery. Of course, his job originally, they thought they were going to move all the burials. Mm -hmm. And he thought originally that that he was going to be doing that. But they decided in the end only to, to remove the 21 military burials. But he he talked to everyone locally that he could. Um, the all the mounds for the military burials were there. Uh, some of the markers were missing. The markers that were there were unreadable, even under even under magnifying glass. He said, but I'm sure there were mounds marking Billy and his two friends at the time. So he didn't, you know, have to invent it. He could just look and find the mounds. So it's we're uh, we're sure that he didn't take a shovel and dig down there, open a box, and go, oh yeah, this looks like a you know the remains of a 20 year old boy. That never happened. No, no, he wouldn't have had the right to do that. Got it. Okay. So then uh, with that said, uh, there, <laughs> and I talked about this in an earlier episode, there's wild stories that people like to uh, talk about today of graves washing down the river, bones scattered throughout who the heck knows where, well, the bones are all mixed up in certain graves. Um, how do we know that didn't happen? Uh, that's an interesting question because uh, Nolan, you know, you're familiar with his work. He said the, the, the flood was in 1906, and he was wrong. I was able to find records of the flood and so on, and the flood was in 1904, which was a year before Garrett visited it. So Garrett could still find a, a mound of some sort uh, in a year after the flood. But yeah, that was uh, there had been floods earlier, and there were floods later. That was the record-breaking flood. And as the uh, contemporary sources say, a cemetery was flooded for about two weeks and the water actually stood over it uh, four feet. But then a year later is when Dudrow came to recover 
the military bodies. And again, he found mounds for the military bodies. He didn't have any trouble locating the military graves. He located Billy and the other two. He would have done that by mound. So even though the water stood over the cemetery, it did not erase the, the evidence of where the burials were. And, you know, it's possible there were some rocks on it and so on. We don't know for sure. But anyway, um, a year after the flood, he had no trouble locating those graves. Gotcha. And those graves predated Billy and his pals by yes. 10 to 15 years at least? Yeah, the fort was founded in 1862 uh, by Edwin Sumner, who was in the mill named after him. And of course, it was originally set up because they were setting up a reservation there to, to move the Native Americans there. Uh, they were extremely unhappy there and they were eventually allowed to leave. Uh, but that was the reason that the fort was built. Got it. So those graves that are 10, 15, maybe even almost 20 years older than Billy's are still intact. The burial mounds are still there. The skeletons, uh, you know, the remains lie undisturbed. We just can't read the headstones or the headboards, whatever. That's right. Got it. And, and he says, for example, that only one of the remains smelled slightly. Mm -hmm. uh, there was clothing with it. Uh, he was able to identify one of the burials from the clothing because of the officer's ranks, but the others he was not able to identify. Now, the records, the military records gave their names. Mm -hmm. And so they knew how many were there. They knew, uh, you know, who they were looking for. They were only able to identify one. And as you have said earlier, uh, they moved them all to the cemetery in Santa Fe. They gave them each an individual stone, although they didn't know that they were putting the right remains under each particular stone, except in that one case. Mm -hmm. And one of those uh, 21 was a civilian, and he'd been, he had been shot um, and buried there, and he was, he was, uh, he was basically uh, a criminal, you might say. Got it. Oh, so, so a civilian made it into the reinterments in the Santa Fe National Cemetery? No, well, that's a good question. They were, he was moved. Now, don't forget, there were also three children uh, mm -hmm. that Dudrow seemed to have moved. But um, yeah, I, it's a, I doubt that he would have made it to the military cemetery, but have to, you know, I've, I've been to that location. You probably have too. It'd have to, I, I do have my notes. I'd have to go back and look and see if his name's on there uh, because I do have his name in my book. Mm -hmm. Got it. Um, okay, so one of the other things with the Dudro report is the map, the hand-drawn map of the graves. And the one thing that seems to throw off uh, people is that if you look at where he says Billy's grave is, uh, and then there's somebody next to him, and then the other grave is almost an entire row away. So whether that's foliar, most likely. Uh, it, so it would be almost six feet you know, from stem to stern away from the other graves. Um, any explanation for that? Because that certainly would cast doubt on who's where and, and what, what grave might be sticking well out from underneath that cage today? Well, Garrett, of course, says that they were buried in a row. But to my knowledge, nobody else really confirms that early, early, early uh, provable document. Uh, I suspect that that's the way they were actually buried. Again, um, Dudrow is working from mounds. So, and he's also, don't forget, he's interviewing everybody. And uh, people know where he was buried. The people that live there know where he was buried. So he was, he was off, though Garrett says they're in a row, they're roughly in a row. Uh, when they decided to create the monument zone, they just lined them up. But I'm sure that's the way that, that, that it was originally. Got it. Okay, so then Charlie Four enters the picture uh, shortly after the kid is killed, and then for quite a while afterward. How did he wind up being the guy that knew so much about the cemetery? Was he the official caretaker of it? No, uh, he moved there about two months after Billy was killed. Uh, he was a remarkable man. He was a qualified surveyor. And if you've seen that map of Fort Sumner, uh, that was by Charlie Four. And you can assume that's extremely accurate because he, he worked as a surveyor. And uh, that's a very accurate map. And so that eventually, you know, he opened a hotel in Fort Sumner. And he, um, he had a ranch, had various things. But he moved to Fort Sumner about two months after Billy was killed. A uh, very uh, well-educated man. Uh, he was very well interested in history. And so he became um, an expert on the cemetery. And like I say, we would not have an accurate map of, this, of the Fort Sumner as it, as it stood when Billy was killed, if it hadn't been for his, for him. 
And of course, Dudrow's map is an unbelievable historical resource, which I published in my book, had never been published before. And uh, I mean, that just settled so many questions that all these myths and oral stories and all these speculations and so many authors have made all these assertions of what of this and that and the other, and they had no no primary evidence for it one way or the other. They were just going by their own opinion or oral stories. I'm sure I know the answer, but I got to ask it anyway. Is there <laughs> is there any way? Any way, any evidence, any inkling, any rumor, speculation that Dudrow somehow was put up to, you know, drawing that map? Like, could could somebody back then have been trying to force the narrative to say, hey, Billy, the kid's here? Did the kid himself come back from Mexico or Texas and put a gun to his head and say, hey, tell him I'm buried here? Do we have anything at all that would point to that? <laughs> what a joke. No, of course not. <laughs> Um, they they put out bids to move the burials, and they were doing they they were doing quite a few at the time. They were trying to consolidate them all in Santa Fe. His winning bid was fifteen dollars per grave, <laughs> and so he was the winning bidder. Now remember, his report was submitted to the military, and it was lost essentially until I published it a couple years ago in the book. <laughs> so you know nobody had access to it. So. You know, the idea that uh, that somehow or other he was in. I mean, these are the things about all these conspiracy theories, all these. What motivation does he have to fake it? I mean, you know, none of these theories have any motivation behind them. Yeah, no, I, I understand. I, but I had to ask because somebody in the audience is thinking that very thing. So, OK, so Charlie Ford comes in. He uh, he maps uh, old Fort Sumner. So we have that. He takes care of the cemetery. But the grave is unmarked for a long, long time. It's mis- improperly marked in 26 or 27. How do we finally figure out where he is to put that first, the pals, the big white uh, uh, headstone there? Who, who does that and when does that happen? You know, that's a, that is a really remarkable story. And my book, again, is the first uh, to give that story com- in its completeness. And remember, there was four of them. There was Paco Anaya, Jesus Silva, and Vicente Otero, who'd all been, who'd all known Billy and had been in Fort Sumner when he was killed and had been at the funeral, and then Charlie Four, who arrived a couple of months later. And when he arrived, there was still been a marker on Billy's grave, okay? So he knew precisely. So they did have a little bit of disagreement as to where it was because they had different methods of finding it. Uh, One of them uh, said that he would step so many steps from this wall and so on, but after a while, uh, they agreed on one spot, and the remarkable thing is how close that they got uh, to that location. But remember the movie, the first Billy the Kid movie had already come out based on Burns's book in 1926, and the world premiere for that movie was held here in Las Cruces, where I live, in the Rio Grande Theater, which is still there, and I wrote ex- write extensively about that in my book on the history of movie theaters in Las Cruces. And at that time, there a lot of people came out of the woodwork and they were interviewed by the paper and so on. And people said, well, we saw him in a cafe in handcuffs in Las Cruces and all this sort of stuff. Well, of course, he was never in Las Cruces. He was taken directly from Rincon to Mesilla. But they did the stage did change horses in Las Cruces. But typical of all these stories about Billy, all these oral stories, uh, everything written about Billy and they had a special issue of the newspaper and it went for, and, and they had two different issues, everything in there, all the stories, and they're all wrong. Every one of them is, is provably wrong. Yeah, newspapers are not always But anyway, the, the four men that marked it, uh, they eventually agreed on a location. And, um, you know, then Perkins, who was there, he's the one that poured the cement. And if you know from my book, I have a series of books which shows where the, the cement uh, surrounding it was poured and then the first grave Billy's was poured first uh, the one covering the stone and so on and all three were poured Perkins is the one that did that he was present when the four men uh, located uh, the grave Billy's grave so to my memory you know they they all four were in a different spot but it wasn't like they were a hundred feet away from each other they were in the same general vicinity yeah they're probably within a few feet of each other but they were trying to be as accurate as they could mm-hmm. And so that's how we came to wind up marking the grave that people go and visit today. Yes. So when uh, when did the big white pals stone go up? How long has that been there? Uh, let's see that that um, remember that was donated by 
a man from Colorado who uh, was a fan of Billy the Kid. It's kind of an interesting stone. Uh, it was uh, put up on March 23rd, 1940. And uh, if you look at the stone, you know, uh, they still believe that Billy had killed 21 people. So at the top of the stone, there's little cartridges, 21 cartridges for the um, all the men he'd been killed. And of course, the dates of his death and so on are wrong on the stone. But the man who donated it was named John Warner. And I have a quote in his book from his daughter. They He donated the stone. He owned a quarry in Colorado. They brought the stone down in a car. And his daughter says, I sat next to it in the back seat. And it weighed about 200 pounds. Mm -hmm. And it was installed on August 29th, uh, 1950. Um, well, excuse me, 1940. And it's a dark marble stone. And um, as you know, as you know, it was stolen in 1950, but it was de dedicated March 23rd, 1940. Mm -hmm. So that one was stolen and it was found uh, years later in, is it Granbury, Texas? Yes, in Granbury, Texas. And the story behind that's pretty interesting because um, this family bought that ranch kind of out on the outskirts of Granbury. And there were two railroad cars on it. And they decided to haul those off. And when they did, they found the stone under one of those railroad cars. And they contacted Joe Bolin, who was running the uh, museum out at the cemetery then, which is now closed, sadly. And he went and got it. And I've got his account of getting it and so on. And that's, that's pretty well documented. But anyway, it was found under one of those railroad cars. Um, if we knew who owned the ranch before, we would have probably know who stole it. Hmm. So uh, the, the conspiracy theorists would tell us, hey, uh, Granberry's not that far from Heiko, where Brushy Bill was from. And uh, the uh, I can't remember the guy's name who was Jesse James, uh, uh, J. Frank Dalton, also from uh, the same area. So clearly they went and took the stone so that Billy's grave couldn't be marked and could be rightfully placed back in Texas. Do you agree? Well, remember, they're only taking that second stone. So what does that do? Nothing. It's just a servant souvenir. Uh, it's not like they took the other stones, you know, uh, if they'd done something like that, you might try to hang your head on some sort of conspiracy theory. But I mean, the second stone that, uh, you know, it's not even and it's, it's at the foot of the other. It's not even the right location. Mm -hmm. So I don't see any point in that. Gotcha. OK, so the stone gets uh, uh, gets put back in, but it's stolen a second time. That's when right. Did, stolen, when did that happen? Stolen February 1st, 1981. And it's a very interesting story. Um, I tried to get the court records out of California. This guy who was a truck driver, his name is Walter Nicholson. He was only 25 years old. And there was a fence around the cemetery, around the burial there, not, and also the cemetery. Um, it wasn't mashed down or anything. They wouldn't, it's, very, it's a 200-pound stone. Uh, they didn't know how he succeeded in getting it the second time, whether he had some help or not. But anyway, he takes it back to his apartment in, Col in Col Colorado, I mean, in California, and he throws a party, invites his friend over. And he's displaying the stone there, essentially, as a souvenir. And someone reports him, and he reported to the local police, eventually contact the police in, in Fort Sumner. So I tried to find whether he'd ever, he, he suffered no penalty. Uh, because of the different states and that sort of stuff, the police in Fort Sumner decided they weren't going to pursue it. And essentially, he ended up with no penalty for stealing it. But it was found in his bedroom. Wow. And tell, uh, tell uh, us his name again. His name is Walter Nicholson. And he was 25 at the time. 25. So I didn't make any attempt to locate him, but it'd be interesting, uh, you know, to interview him, wouldn't it? Yeah. So 25 in 1981. So we're in uh, for 41 years later. So he'd be uh, 66 years old this year. Walter, if you're listening, uh, just uh, email the show at Billy the Kid rides again at gmail.com. And uh, we'd love to talk to you. You're safe. We're not going to throw you in jail or drag you through. We just want to figure out how the heck you did it and uh, what you hoped <laughs> would happen. That would be wild. Okay, everybody. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. The sheriff said, I, you know, I can't believe he did it. It was so heavy, number one, and they did, he didn't damage the fence or anything. I can't figure out how the heck he got it, he said. Well, Walter, or anybody that knows Walter, we're waiting to hear from you. So, cool. Okay, so the stone was back. Then it was put in inside kind of an iron, its own little iron cage to make sure it wasn't stolen again. Uh, did that happen immediately upon the stone being returned? 
I don't know how long it took to, to put up the cage. I mean, it didn't happen immediately. So I don't know exactly how long it took to put up the cage, but you know, there's been some, they're going to replace the cage because there, a few years ago, uh, someone took a, a stick and they pushed over Billy's grave. There's been some vandalism mm -hmm. and that cage is not sufficient protection. No, you can certainly reach right through it and touch almost anything that you want. And there's plenty of mementos and stuff that people leave when they uh, can reach from behind. So got it. Okay. Um, so in the, you talked about the 1980s. In the mid 80s, I, I tried to locate the article quickly uh, before we started, but I couldn't find a copy of it. There's an article in the Fort Sumner Gazette, the local paper, uh, with David Bailey, who was mayor of Fort Sumner at that time, and Joe Bolin who uh, have uh, called the press to the cemetery and they say they dug up Billy the Kid's grave and they've got a very modern cowboy boot that somebody writes Billy on with a magic marker and then they have a couple other mementos. Do you, do you know anything about this story? I do not know anything about that. Um, it, very, it surprised me very much that Bolin would participate in anything like that because he was a serious historian. So that's a very odd story. Yeah, so the the story was that, that, as I heard it from Bailey, is that it was at the time when uh, Heiko was pushing the Brushy Bill story, and uh, he felt like they were stealing uh, the uh, you know the identity from Fort Sumner. So he and Boland created this fake grave on on the uh, closer to the exit side of the concrete walkway around, and uh, they put a, a cross in the ground, and they said, well, we got Davy Crockett buried here, uh -huh. and then and then they went and found a bunch of artifacts that they said they found in Billy's grave. Um, there's been, well, well, we'll spend an episode on this, because I've got some interviews that, uh, you know, we, we'll talk more about that, uh, and, you know, if anything ever happened, but I, but you'd never heard of this. It, Never, no, never. in fact, that would have been illegal because in the 19, remember in 1961, when the town of Lincoln tried to get his uh, body and, and Baudry and O'Folliard moved to Lincoln, and it's unclear where they were going to bury him, maybe right there on Main Street or something, mm -hmm. uh, and they went to the court, uh, the court ruled that it was a protected monument, and, you know, and of course, as you know, you know, they, they stopped the burials, except for Frank's burial that was later, but anyway, it would have been illegal um to do something like that but yeah the the lawsuit was in april 1861 and that's when the lincoln county commissioners uh decided they were going to try to get billy's body moved and amazingly they enlisted like uh, george coe's son and a lot of the people that were names in lincoln they were all for it and of course it was just a big effort to try to get something that would pull in more tourists where they could make more money yeah. And, and thankfully it, it never did go anywhere. Uh, they were denied the opportunity to move that and, you know, the grave stays where it, where it uh, was. So I know you don't have any doubt. Uh, many people don't, but others do. Uh, even if the people don't believe in the story of Brushy Bill or John Miller, there are people that believe that Billy went to Mexico or Colorado or England or somewhere. Why do you think there's so much doubt? I mean, it seems pretty cut and dry with all the evidence in your book, the number of witnesses. Why is there doubt about who's underneath the soil there? Well, see, I, I in my book, I show the origination of that myth. Uh, it was originated by a guy from El Paso, and had, there was no, there's nothing, of, nothing about that previous to this, absolutely nothing. Uh, he writes to the New Mexico Historical Society, and he says that he has met with Billy the Kid in Mexico, and he has a ranch down there and so on. And he start, he's the very origin, and I quote the letter that he wrote and so on. He's the very origin of that myth. And then later on, when Howard Hughes made his movie about Billy the Kid, which was the second one, and remember, it was held up for about, it was made in 1930, uh, but it was held up for a few years uh, over, it was basically censored. And in that movie, uh, Garrett and Billy collide in order to kill someone else and let that person go. So then that was the second place in which that gave impetus. And then, you know, it kind of grew after that. But every time that it did, uh, someone that was at Fort Sumner, who was at the funeral, you know, would be interviewed by the paper and counter it. But yeah, the very first instance of that uh, emerging as a theory uh, is this guy from El Paso, which never surfaced again. And he was challenged to come forward, challenged to show some proof or not. 
He never did. He never showed his face again. Uh, this letter that he wrote, and I quote the letter in my book, and I go into that, you know, in some detail and in, in how the conspiracy theory started. But yeah, this is long before Brushy Bill decided that he was Billy the Kid. So is it uh, is it possible uh, or even probable that that Miller's family, Brushy Bill, there were a number of other Billy the Kid claimants heard that and said, hey, now we've got an opening. There's doubt. So, yeah, I well, was that, Billy the Kid. That movie by Howard Hughes, when it finally came out, was huge. And that's gave everybody the idea. And these people that decided they were Billy the Kid, that's where they got the idea. So you got an initial letter and then you've got a movie that was huge, a really successful movie. And I mean, that spread the ideal all over the country. And so that, that is the genesis of that. So these people that have all these theories, I'd like them to point to something, any kind of primary document, any kind of evidence. I mean, you can't quote Brushy Bill, um, you know, as evidence that anyone would take seriously. I mean, you've got to have some sort of primary evidence or you're just believing in fantasy. I got you. Um, I have a, a book here by Steve Cedarwall called The Dirty on Billy the Kid. Have you ever had the chance to read it? I've seen the book, but I haven't read it. So there's a report uh, that's in here. And I, I did uh, mention this on another podcast, but I want to ask you about it. It's by Gary Wayne Graves, uh, who at that time was sheriff of DeBaca County. Gary passed away just recently. And, uh, you know, best wishes to to uh, his family and his wife. Um and Gary recounts, uh, in other words, he, he, this was in 2003 during the height of the, hey, let's dig up Billy and everybody else and prove it via DNA. Um, and he recounts a meeting he has in Fort Sumner with David Bailey, who was former mayor of Fort Sumner, in David Bailey's grocery store. And I won't read the whole thing, but I'll paraphrase. Essentially, what, what his report says that he swears out in front of Cedarwall is that Bailey tells him, you got to stop this investigation. And Graves says, I'm not interested in digging up the grave. I'm just interested in finding out the truth. And Bailey says, don't go digging that grave up. You don't know what you'll find down there, but I do. And repeats that twice. Um, I've talked to Dave Bailey about this. Uh, he was He didn't deny that the conversation probably happened. And he gave a number of reasons why it might have. Is there anything to this? Is it possible at some point between July, July 15, 1881, and January 19th, my birthday, by the way, 2022, that somebody has dug that grave up? Well, like I said, from 1961 on, it would have been illegal. But of course, that doesn't necessarily stop anybody. But um, I mean, people, you, you can say anything you want. Okay. <laughs> and it's hard to believe anyone would take any oral testimony seriously. I mean, if you know anything about courtroom trials, you know anything about testimony, you know, it's, it couldn't hardly be faker than testimony or oral stories. And if, if that's what you're willing to believe based on what somebody said, like for example, Brushy Bill, which by the way, his recordings, you know, show that many of the things that his quotes are, are faked, uh, things that are in the recording have been changed by in the book that came out afterwards. And so uh, there's hoaxing right there. But if you're willing to believe in someone's oral testimony who has no proof other than what they're asserting, then you might as well believe that the moon is occupied by aliens. Is it? Is I mean, what could he possibly, what source could he possibly have? What document could he point to? Well, how can it be collaborated by another person? I mean, it's just, it's just total fantasy. Yeah. Well, I think the inference here, and I, I mean, this is only my opinion. I think the inference in the, in this statement that he, that he swore out uh, July 20, 2003 is that, Bailey knows what's there because somehow he was party to seeing what was there. Um, and uh, of course, when, when I've talked to David Bailey, he never said that he dug the grave up. In fact, he even said on camera, I never dug the grave up. So um, there's, but that's the inference was that somebody did and somebody knew what was down there and somebody didn't want it to be found. So wow. uh, the interesting uh which we'll explore in uh, yet another uh, episode. Um, well, now, one, one, one point. Remember, until mm -hmm. my book came out, virtually none of this stuff that we're talking about was known. Mm -hmm. No one had seen the dude run my app. I mean, they, 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 people could say what they want because there was no counterproof. I mean, none of the information, uh, people didn't even know that Garrett had visited the cemetery again. I mean, 
you know, the information in my book is essentially brand new. And so these people could go around saying anything they wanted and there was nothing to contradict them, no pr provable evidence to contradict them. It's a lot harder to make these assertions today. But again, you can swear out any kind of witness statement you want. As many, many people have been convicted by false witnesses, even in court where they're swelling in person. I mean, that has very, very zero credibility. Gotcha. Hey, while we're talking about the cemetery in, in Boland, uh, the museum there, uh, which has not been there for some number of years, I don't know exactly how long. Um, had you been there during its heyday? when? Uh, yes, when in things... fact, that was the first museum that was started by the guy. Remember when the, uh, the there was a piece of property next to the cemetery that was sold for taxes and the person that bought it thought that he also included the cemetery, even though it was explicitly excluded in the contract when the fort was sold to Maxwell. And he claimed that he plowed it up. He was going to plant a crop and he was going to try to sell lots. And that's what led to the lawsuit, which eventually led to the fact that it was set aside as a cemetery. But a few years after that, he started the museum. Now, if you go to the cemetery and look behind the cemetery, the building of that museum is in, let's say it's in front of the cemetery. There's a building behind it. That was his original museum. Started a few years after that lawsuit in 1931. And then he moved into the building in front. Okay. So yeah, he his museum was started before the one in the town. I have the, the dates of those in my book and also have early pictures of them, both of them. Great. Uh, were there any, um, to your knowledge, any great, uh, you know, artifacts from that belonged to Billy or part of Billy, those kind of things? Or was it more Fort Sumner history in general? Um. I'm not sure exactly, but there's a lot of artifacts from people that were associated from the Maxwells and things like that. And, you know, for, so for what, 40 years um, or 35 years, those two museums competed with each other. And so, you know, when something would surface, they would, each of them would try to get it. Now, eventually uh, it was run by Bolin, uh, whether he owned it or not, I don't know, but um and then when he died, the city of Fort Sumner tried to keep it going for a while. And then in a very, very odd decision, they decided uh, that they weren't going to. And so they sold out the contents in an auction. And it was in that auction that some friends of mine were able to buy that picture of Pat Garrett, which is on the cover of my Pat Garrett book. Mm -hmm. Oh, how cool. And that was testified to by Jarvis Garrett. Mm -hmm. That's the provenance great. was provided by Jarvis Garrett. Uh, Pat Garrett's son. Yes. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So got to ask you, I would ask anybody in your, your, you've literally written the book on Billy the Kid's grave because that's the name of the book that you wrote. Um, would you under any circumstances support an exhumation of the grave and any other associated sites in order to compare DNA and prove once and for all that whatever, whoever lies underneath that ground is in fact, William H. Bonney? You know, that's kind of a dis difficult question. I mean, relatives are certainly entitled to do something like that. But of course, we don't have any relatives for Billy. Mm -hmm. And remember, when they tried to move the grave in 1961, a, a close relative of Baudry came and objected. And he was recognized as the court um, having an interest in it. And of course, he was opposed to Baudry being moved. So the, the question you've got, number one, is you don't have anyone that has a legal right to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now the question is, does the state have the right to do it? Um, the cemetery is an official cemetery. It was declared that in 1961. Um, and the only person that could ever be buried after that was, and was one person that Frank, he had to get special permission from the court uh, to be buried there. So I assume that the state has the power to make that decision. Uh, nobody else would have the power to make that decision. Uh, it would definitely be an interesting historical question um, so if the state decided uh, to do it, I wouldn't oppose it. But, you know, it had to be done legally. You couldn't sneak into the cemetery and dig up the bodies like has happened uh, in some cases. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, during the, the whole 2003 to 2005 debacle with the intent to dig up the grave and Catherine's grave and everyone's grave, uh, when... Uh, the uh, the the trio of uh, Steve Cedarwall, uh, Graves, and Tom Sullivan were were essentially shut out from uh, exhuming the grave in Fort Sumner. They went to Silver City to get 
to try to get permission to dig up Catherine Antrim. And the judge there did something very uh, uh, sly, maybe, and said, okay, I'll give you permission to, to exhume the body and extract DNA. But first, you have to have something to compare it to. So in other words, you have to tell me what you're going to compare that DNA to. And of course, they didn't have anything to compare it to because Fort Sumner had said no. So essentially, the judges put it back, didn't say no, but said, you can do it, but what you're wanting to do is impossible. And so that's kind of where that whole effort died. And now there's something they didn't know, which is that that's not her original burial location, and she may not be down there. Um, I'm going to write about this eventually, but I've got all the documentation. But originally, there was another cemetery uh, that was closer to downtown in Silver City, and it kept being washed out. And after one time when it was really badly washed out and a lot of the graves were washed out and a lot of the stones were washed out, they hired a man, and I have his name, but I don't recall it right now, to move them. So he moved them, He moved all the burials to the current location and he moved the stones. So he, you know, there was a, there was a marker on Kathleen's grave, Billy's mother, and he tried to move those remains and he, he put that stone up and eventually that stone was stolen and replaced by another one. And I have the story about how, how the current stone was put in there, which is very interesting, came out of Minnesota. But anyway, uh, there's no certainty that he succeeded in moving the correct remains. Um, the cemetery was very badly washed out. There was a bunch of burials. Um, he would have done the best he could have possibly done, but uh, they did. when they were trying to get the, the Kathleen's remains removed, they didn't even know that that wasn't the original burial spot. Oh, really? So oh, that, that shows that, how good their research was. So that it's, it would have been a crapshoot. You could have, if you dug under that headstone, you could have found anybody or nobody. Yeah. And again, you know, we don't have any DNA that necessarily matches her. So um, it could be that there had been uh, the stones of a, a female in there, but there's certainly uh, could be, could be serious doubt as to whether that was her or not. Gotcha. So the book is Billy the Kid's Grave. Um, I loved it. Uh, I really haven't, I've, gosh, I can't tell you how many times I've read it and thumbed through it regularly. Uh, where can people find it, David? Uh, it's available on Amazon, available in some bookstores, Barnes and Noble. Uh, probably the Amazon is the easiest uh, way to, to obtain it. And if people want to find out, because you've written, in, how many books have you written? Um, just finishing my eighth book on New Mexico history, which is on the Angel Report. Uh, very interesting that that, you know, the Angel Report is the primary source for the killing of Tunstall, which started the Lincoln County War. That report, which is 380 some pages, handwritten pages, never been published. Uh, historians have drawn upon it. It's never been published. I'm publishing the complete report with an introduction and all kinds of associated material with it. But yeah, I've got a I've got a, a biography of Pat Garrett. Uh, my most recent book is The Trial of Billy the Kid. And if you pick up a book on Billy, you'll find that about the most they've ever written about the trial is maybe two paragraphs. Mm -hmm. And I've got day by day, I've got all the details. I've got the, 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 what, the, what Billy's attorney wanted uh, and what the judge decided and all the various things. I know the exact dates that Billy was convicted and charged and all that sort of stuff. Nobody knows that. That's all in that book. And of course, I have a book on Fountain's murder, the Pinkerton reports on Fountain's murder and you know several others. That's uh that's a ton of great info out there. So uh, your website is doc45, doc45.com. Is that where people can find out about all of the books? That's yeah, that's the publishing site. It lists all the books with descriptions. doc45.com. We'll put that in the uh we'll put that in the show notes so you can go on over. Highly highly recommended. David's uh, just a just an impeccable researcher and uh, unlike some other books that I've seen that write a story, well, purportedly a factual story, but don't cite any sources, no footnotes whatsoever. Uh, your your book is just loaded with those. Um, there's not a fact that goes by where you don't talk about where you found it and what the supporting documentation is. So well done on that. Thank you so much for keeping the history of New Mexico and Billy the Kid alive, even if the kid himself is long dead. So Thank you. Uh, you know, most of those pictures have never been published before. One of the more interesting one is after the uh, cemetery was taken for taxes, supposedly, uh, the people in Fort Sumner organized a community meeting and so on, and they put up posters around town, and one of the posters was put up on the grave, the side of Billy the Kid's grave, 
And I got a picture of that and I know who put the poster there and it's in my book. Oh, how neat. I, you know what? I either saw that one and forgot or I missed it. So when we're done, I'm going to go get the book here. I'm going to pull it out and look at that. So everybody, David Thomas joining us, author, historian, researcher. Uh, thanks so much, David. Always uh, just a wealth of information. We appreciate you. And people will be able to see you later this year in the uh, documentary that you were so uh, uh, generous in helping me with, uh, Digging Billy, where we talk about kind of the forces that drive the economy of Fort Sumner and Heiko and other places. And so we'll be on the lookout for that. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Michael. All right. You take care. Bye, David. Goodbye. Man, that guy knows some stuff, doesn't he? It's crazy who, how you could just continually do so much research and put the pieces together and cite all those sources. Really, uh, really highly recommended for any Billy the Kid fan. I, you know, I don't care whether you believe that Brushy Bill was Billy the Kid or John Miller or uh, Luis Jaramillo uh, or or Pat Garrett told the truth. Um, the the grave itself and the history of that cemetery and in where people either buried Billy or at least believe Billy was buried um, is, uh, is fascinating and that it's gone under, gone, un, undergone so many changes in hands and in points in peril that people are trying to plant an alfalfa crop in, in the cemetery. Can you imagine that? Um, just uh, absolute madness, but uh, that it's intact to the degree that it is today is, uh, is really, really cool. So a um, couple things uh, before we go for wrap up this episode. Um, some of you, many of you actually are listening to the show on YouTube. And I posted on my YouTube channel at Michael Anthony Judicici. And if you are, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, please hit the subscribe button. Um, what happens is there's, there's ads in these already. I know that because any of the long form uh, videos, uh, YouTube puts ads in, but YouTube gets all the revenue. Uh, I need to reach a thousand subscribers in order to share in that revenue. And that, that, uh, you know, ad, uh, revenue will help create new programs in the future, uh, bringing back the web series one day only. And you can look on my YouTube channel for that, where I brought back for one day only, uh, big nose, Kate, uh, doc holiday, Johnny Ringo, uh, a couple others, and I've got uh, more planned. I'd like to do more of those uh, those episodes for you. So if you can subscribe, tell your friends, tell them to subscribe. If you're listening via the podcast, go to the YouTube channel and subscribe. It would be hugely helpful to me to get to that 1,000 subscriber mark. We're just shy of about 500 now, so almost halfway there and uh, coming along, but there'll be some great content. Uh, one of the other things that will be going up shortly is the original Back to Billy uh, pilot, which we shot back in 2018, 19, gosh, hard to remember, I think 2018. And uh, the uh, the pilot was a very low budget thing, but we shot it up at Bonanza Creek Ranch, which is now infamous, unfortunately, uh, for the death of uh, Helena Hutchins uh, on the set of the film Rust. But we shot right in, no, we filmed uh, right in those buildings, right, you know, on the streets where that one was uh, being made. And we had a lot of fun doing it. And so it was a good proof of concept um, to start the book series. And hopefully at some point in the future, be able to make a feature film or, or six, <laughs> if, you, if you want to make one for every book in the series. Um, so we'll be re-uploading that to the YouTube channel soon. It's about 25, 26 minutes you'll get a little visual idea of what Back to Billy was like. And um, the reason it came down is because there was a uh, uh, there was a piece of music in there that had a copyright claim on it. And so we had to uh, remove that. So re-editing, uh, adding some different music in so that we're clear to put that back up and we're not stepping on anybody else's content. Um, and of course, you'll find uh, all of the new podcasts there. Uh, you'll find some uh, clips from the very, very shortly to be released, 30 Seconds in Hell. The trailer's there already. We're going to have the uh, premiere January 29th, 1 p.m. at the Guild Cinema, Albuquerque, New Mexico. There'll be a number of actors there. Haley, Jocelyn, Braden Anderson, uh, Danny Wynn, who starred in the film, um, uh, Ryan Knudsen, 
Uh, Ryan's uh, coming all the way from Florida as Doc Holiday. So if you can make it out there, great. If not, watch the YouTube channel and then we'll be uh, premiering on streaming channels, uh, Apple TV, Amazon Prime, Google Play, Vimeo on demand uh, very shortly thereafter. So for this episode, we have reached our <laughs> our conclusion. Uh, thanks again for listening in, for being a fan, and uh, tell your friends, all your Billy the Kid fans, and uh, and if they're not fans, well, maybe the show will maybe the show will make them fans. So thanks everybody. To oh oh, before I go, last bit. Uh, as of the day I'm recording this, I'm off for a very special. Another very special interview with the man who knows more about Lincoln than Lincoln himself, Drew Gomber. Drew is the uh, you know TV personality, uh, Lincoln historian, researcher, led tours in Lincoln. He lives in Lincoln. Um, Drew is, uh, has decided to share the uh, microphone with me and tell me uh, all of the inside stuff that none of us know about Lincoln. And we'll get his feelings on Fort Sumner and Heiko and Prescott, Arizona, and uh, anything else he feels like talking about. So that'll be on the next episode. I hope to hear you or see you. And you can get in touch with the show, Billy the Kid Rides again at gmail.com or on Twitter at BTK Rides. I'm out of here. See ya. <laughs>